Good morning. Good to see all of you present on such a beautiful Lord's Day that our God has blessed us with. He is the God of blessing. He is the one who has given us much more than we need, much more than we deserve, much more than we could even ask or think. As the Apostle Paul in that great prayer as he ends it in Ephesians chapter 3 at the end of that chapter reminds us what a great God we serve. And as we have just sung in that beautiful song this morning, glory be to our God. Glory be to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We are thankful that you have chosen to come and to worship God with us this morning. If you are visiting with us, we are certainly glad that you have made the decision to come and to be with us. And we pray that our time here together will be beneficial and helpful to each one of us. It will draw us closer to our great God and it will draw us closer to one another as we strive to serve him here upon this earth. Two months ago, we began a series of lessons based upon the Apostle Paul's instructions to glorify God in your body from the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. And as we looked at that particular text in the first lesson, we pulled out some truths that govern our physical bodies. And don't worry, I'm not going to try to preach that lesson again this morning. But as this lesson is connected to that introductory lesson, to think about those truths once again in our mind, to bring them to our memory. Number one, the Apostle Paul says at the beginning of this text, the text that our brother Don read for us this morning at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this principle that not all things are profitable and I will not be mastered by anything, that there may be things that may not be immoral. There may be things that may not be wrong for us to do. There may be things that may not necessarily be sinful for us, but are they the most helpful for us in helping us to glorify God in our body? Are they things that profit us or things that profit our brother or sister in Christ? Are they things that have the tendency to control us and to master us? And Paul says, not all things are profitable and he and we should not Strive to be mastered by anything. Secondly, he says to us from this text that the body is for the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is why he has made our body. And in connection to that, those of us who are Christians, we made the decision when we connected ourselves to Jesus Christ that we have given him completely and wholly to him. And that includes our physical bodies that, as Paul says to us in this text, that your bodies are members of of Christ. Number four, he says, because that is the case, you are not your own. And as we pointed out in that introductory lesson, that just flies in the face of us, at least as Americans, doesn't it? Because we think that we own ourselves, we own our body, we can do with our bodies what we want to do. And number five, connected to that, the Apostle Paul ends this particular section by saying there at verse 20 that we have been bought with a price. Therefore, we need to glorify God in our body. We have been bought with the precious blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And number six, I did not include this one when we went through that initial lesson, but a good brother brought this to my attention at the end of that lesson. And I think it is such a vital truth, and it is one that we could just do a number of series of lessons about, and we may at some point. But here at verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, that God who raised our Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us through His power. That is to say that God will raise our bodies one day. 
our bodies will be resurrected and they will be changed to live with him eternally. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to chapter 15 here in 1 Corinthians. Last month, we started to take these truths that are found here in 1 Corinthians 6 and to make some application to our own lives. As we began thinking about Paul's instruction here at the end of this this discussion to glorify God in your body, to think about all of these six truths and maybe even more that you can see in this text that pertain to our bodies. And we began to make application of what is said here in this chapter, this section, by looking at one way that there are many people in our culture, in our world today, are using their bodies in a way that does not glorify God. And we spoke of fornication. And that is the specific application that the Apostle Paul makes to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says if we're going to be involved in that kind of, of activity and sexual immorality, as some versions translate the word there, that we are not certainly not glorifying God and using our bodies in that way. And so this morning, as we keep the Apostle's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in mind, we want to continue thinking about how we use our good bodies, the good bodies that God has given us, has created for us, by looking at two more common uh, worldly sinful uses of our bodies this morning. And the first one of those that we want to consider is one, again, that is just as common as fornication. It is the activity, the practice of homosexuality. As I think many of us are probably aware, we are living in the month of June right now. And I didn't even know this really until sometime we, as we got into the month, because I don't keep up a lot with what's going on in the news. But I saw a few headlines and that reminded me, but we're living in a month that is now called Pride Month. <laughs> Pride Month. If you were in, in Brother Kirk's class this morning, he, he has had, in my, my judgment, just an excellent series of studies for us about next level living, about how we can take some things maybe that we know or things that we have come to know in our study of the Word of God, and how do we put those into practice in our life? And he ended this morning by talking to us about spiritual humility and said that that, that idea of humility, it gets into everything that we do. It helps us to focus on God's love. It helps us to focus on loving others and serving others. It helps us in every walk, every aspect of our walk as Christians is that core attribute, that godly characteristic of humility that is perfectly exemplified and displayed in our Lord Jesus Christ. And somewhere during this month, as I was on Facebook at one particular point, there was a preacher friend of mine, I don't remember who it was, but he just made the observation he said about Pride Month. He said, why don't we have Humility Month? <laughs> why don't any of us as people think of humility as a great characteristic? And I think it is because our culture, our world for the most part, has thrown God out of our thinking. And so if we're not thinking about God, we're certainly not thinking about humility. We are thinking about ourselves. We are thinking about lifting ourselves up and promoting ourselves. But here we are in the middle of Pride Month. There are a number of Americans who are celebrating what has been come to be called, and I think this is accurate at this particular point, the LGBTQ plus community. And I don't know about you, and this probably says something about uh, where I am in life and how old I am getting <laughs> But I remember as a child, you know, things like this, maybe they were spoken of in private, but they certainly weren't spoken of publicly. But now we have come to the point, at least in our society, in our nation, where these 
kinds of matters are just openly celebrated for an entire month. But lest we think that this particular sin, this particular problem is something that is new, is something that is unique to 21st century America, we need to think again because this idea of homosexuality, of using our bodies in this way, it is something that has been practiced for thousands of years. We're not going to take the time this morning to look at this particular text, but just to reference it here. In Genesis chapter 19, you might remember there where Lot has moved his family to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he is living there with his wife and with his children, and it seems like they have, have gotten married, and he's living there with his family in this particular city of Sodom. And you remember that there were some men, some visitors who came to Lot's house and they wanted to just thought it'd be a good idea if they slept out in the open square. And Lot said to them, that's not a good idea. And so he brought them into his house to try to provide them some shelter, some refuge from the environment in which they had come into. And remember that it says all the men in the city were there at his house beating on his door and wanting to come into the house to have relations with those men who turned out, of course, to be angels. And so this is something that is not new. This is something that has been practiced for thousands of years. And so does God have anything to say about it in His Word? Well, indeed He does. In this very passage in which we are looking at in this series of lessons about glorifying God in our body, I want you to go back to verse 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, at verse 9 beginning, the Apostle Paul asks a question here. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, or rather, nor, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, could be the Apostle Paul Ben have any Ben have could the Apostle Paul have been any clearer, if I can get that out, about this sin that we are speaking of here at this point in our lesson, homosexuality? Re remember who he is talking to, who he is addressing these words to. He is addressing these words to people who once were homosexuals. And they once were adulterers. They once were fornicators, as we spoke of last month. They once were people who were just like everybody else. They were just living a normal life as the world would consider that. But Paul makes it very clear to them and to us as we continue reading these words today that people who practice homosexuality, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, as Satan was doing in the first century, as Satan has always done, as Satan continues doing in the 21st century for us, I believe he has done a great job of deceiving many people about all these sins and many other sins that Paul did not list here in this particular text. But he has deceived certainly a lot of people that live around us every day about homosexuality and saying that it is no big deal, that it is not a sin and all kinds of messages, lies really from the devil that our society has bought into. Telling us, I don't know if this is still going around or not, but at least a number of years ago saying that, well, a person really can't help it if they are a homosexual, that you're born into this particular state rather than it being a choice that someone can make. But what does God, through the Apostle Paul, say here even in this text? I believe he is saying very loud and clear to those who used to be homosexuals to us today that it is a sinful choice. 
But it is a decision that someone makes just as much as fornication that we spoke of last week, just as much as idolatry, just as much as being a thief. These are all choices. These are all decisions that we have to make. And no, I I am not by any means a scientist. (laughs) I am not a medical expert. I'm not a health expert or anything like that. And I realize in in this particular point and really both of these points in this lesson today that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who maybe struggle with some of these thoughts. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle just like we struggle with any particular temptation, any particular sin, and they are wanting to do what's right. They desire to follow God. They desire to glorify God in their body. And they are struggling with these particular issues in their mind and in their life. And we need to be there to help them to overcome those. But still, it is something that someone can choose to do or it's something that someone can choose not to do. Because of what is said, especially at verse 11 of this text, you know it well, he says to those some of whom were homosexuals before they came to Christ, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Was that a difficult thing for them to do? I'm sure it was. What well, was it difficult for someone who had, had, had uh, devoted their life to practicing fornication with whomever, wherever, whenever, Was that difficult for them to change and to say, I'm not going to use my body in that way because now my body belongs to Christ. I have been bought with a price and I'm going to glorify God in my body? Certainly that was. Or someone who had used their body to steal from someone. Someone who had used their body to worship idols. That certainly was a difficult thing to do. But if they were going to glorify God, they would have to make a change. And indeed, the Apostle Paul says they had made a change. I want us to turn to the book of Romans for just a moment in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. As the Apostle Paul uh, describes the environment of his day, which remains, I think, pretty much the environment in which we find ourselves living today. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 24, Paul writes here, he says, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their Error. Although Paul obviously does not use the term that I have here on the screen this morning, homosexuality, anywhere in this particular text in Romans 1, I believe this is what he is describing. I think he leaves no doubt in our mind that he is describing uh, homosexuality. He is talking about men committing sexual acts with men and women committing sexual acts with women. And I want you to just notice, not going to pull out a whole lot of things from this particular text. I may come back and and preach from this text at some point in the future. But I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul describes this particular activity here in Romans chapter 1. He says that God gave them over to degrading passions. He says that they were doing things that were unnatural. He says that they were involved in indecent or shameless acts. 
Think all of that in, in relation to what we're thinking of this morning and trying to tie Paul's words here in Romans 1 back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That he is saying, this is not why God created our bodies. This is something that is unnatural. This is something that is indecent. And I think Paul makes that very clear even in this text as you look at what we read just a moment ago from verse 24 where he says that God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Notice that Paul says these acts that people in his culture, that in our culture continue to be engaged in, that these particular acts dishonored their bodies because again, God did not make our bodies for this particular use. And I know that this message is very strong in our culture right now, and it has been for a number of decades. And it can be very easy for us as Christians just to absorb that, that, that kind of message that our culture is, is teaching us and pushing upon us as Christians. But despite what our culture says, I'm submitting to you this morning that God did not create our bodies for homosexuality. The second worldly uses that we want to think about that many people are involved in today using our bodies is that of pornography. This worldly use of our body, I think, has pervaded our society in recent decades to the point that, as a brother of mine recently said, a brother in Christ said, that it is an epidemic. We, we have lived through, I guess, a couple of years of what was called a pandemic, <laughs> This is an epidemic. This is something that has just pervaded our culture and pervaded our society. And not just us as Americans, but it has gone to other nations, of course, as well. And it is not a problem that, has just, that just our culture is dealing with or our nation is dealing with. But it is very much a problem that is, that is prevalent among God's people. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. But it is a problem that just has attacked us as God's people. More than that, what once was primarily, I think, a young male problem has now again attacked and enslaved everyone, young, middle-aged, and old, male and female alike. And likely that is due to just how accessible pornographic content is in our day and time, that some of it is free, that a lot of it is online, a lot of it is digital. Uh, I, I know when, again, when I was growing up, I think it was the case that if you wanted to seek out this kind of material, you could seek it out, you could find it, but you had to maybe look for it kind of hard. But we're living in a time and in a culture because of the technology that we have that it comes looking for us. We can be very innocent as we are using our phones or using our laptops or our tablets or wherever we are looking online and not mean to go looking for that kind of material and yet it can pop up and we are exposed to it. So we don't have to go looking for it. Sadly, it comes looking for us. And connected to the point that we just made about homosexuality, because homosexuality, I think, in our culture, for the most part, is openly embraced now. It is encouraged for people to be involved in. The pornography industry not only shows unmarried men and women committing sexual acts, but it is now showing men and men. 
and women and women. But unlike what we had talked about last month with fornication, and unlike what we had just spoken of in the last point with homosexuality, God doesn't explicitly say in His Word that porn is sin. There is no verse that I know of that says, like we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, that people who make porn or people who participate in porn or people who are watching porn, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. However, that doesn't mean I don't believe that God is silent about this very pervasive problem in our day because I think there are some truths, there are some principles in Scripture that we can apply to this very prevalent sin of pornography. You may have already been going here in your mind, I don't know. But back to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And let's read here beginning at verse 27. Matthew 5 and verse 27. Jesus says, But you have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It is very much true that God, through his, his servant, his prophet Moses, told the children of Israel, do not commit adultery. You can go back and read that, right? <laughs> you can go back to the Ten Commandments. You can go to other places and you can read where God said, do not commit adultery. This is a violation of who I am. This is a violation of my law. However, I believe here in Matthew 5, Jesus is emphasizing what, what's the intent really behind that law. And the intent goes much further than just saying, I haven't committed adultery, just saying that I've abstained from that kind of action. It includes, Jesus says, abstaining from lustful thinking, getting control of our mind, getting control of our thoughts. And it includes abstaining from lustful thinking that would lead to sinful action. How often have we heard people say in regard to this particular point that we're thinking about here, well, you can look as long as you don't touch. You know, looking is fine as long as that's as far as it goes. Everything is fine with you as long as you don't engage in action. But Jesus, I think, maybe is saying here to his audience and to us, that's not true. Because what we focus our eyes on and what we focus our minds on, it does matter. That that is really, I think, for us as people, and especially for us as Christians, that that is where the, the, the battle, the eternal battle between God and Satan, a lot of that takes place within our mind. And certainly that comes out in our actions, in the life that we live, the choices that we make, the words that we say, all those kinds of things. But the battle, I think, really is going on first and foremost in our minds. And so I want you to be impressed with the fact, even though, again, Jesus does not use the word pornography here, he is just talking about sexual lust and uncontrolled lust for another person that is not our spouse, that Jesus approached the matter very seriously. So much that he says to us here in verses 29 and 30 that drastic action may be required for us to overcome this particular sin that has pervaded our culture Maybe like no other sin, at least in my time. 
I don't think that Jesus is saying to us here in those two verses that we literally need to cut off our hand or literally need to pluck out our eye. But he is using those metaphors and notice that they are connected to our physical bodies. He is using those metaphors to really drive home a point how serious this particular sin is. Maybe sometimes how subtle it is, how often maybe we don't even notice it. But what kind of drastic action may need to be taken on our part to get that out of our life? And so as Jesus gives a solution to the sin of sexual lust, again, he references our bodies. He talks about our eye and our hand. And he implies that if we don't get control of our bodies, that our whole body will be thrown into hell. That tells me, and I hope it tells you, that pornography involves using our bodies. We may think it's just we're, we're kind of disconnected to someone, and in a sense we are because we're just maybe looking at a screen or we're looking at a magazine or we're looking at something like that. But he's telling us this sin that we're speaking of here involves our bodies, but in a way that does not glorify God. Well, like a lot of other sins that God points out to us in his word, at its heart, I think porn does involve desiring or coveting something or someone that is not ours. And so does God say, to any, say anything to us in his word about coveting. Well, he does. I want us to go back, first of all, to the old covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it's not only mentioned here, but this is the passage that we're going to look at for just a moment in Deuteronomy chapter 5 at verse 21, uh, where Moses again here in the book of Deuteronomy is kind of restating uh, God's law for his people and preparing them uh, to be obedient to God, to trust in God, to follow God after he has left this earth. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 21, uh, God speaking through Moses says here, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I realize, you know, who Moses is writing to. He's writing to the Israelites. I realize they didn't have the technology that we have today. And so the Israelites didn't have the type of pornographic content that we so easily have access today, but they could still desire, they could still covet their neighbor's wife by looking at her in a way that desires her sexually. And I believe that's what Jesus has in mind back in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not saying that, that and he's addressing that specifically to men, but I'm saying to you this problem of porn, it goes both ways. It's a problem for men and women today, unfortunately. But he's not saying if we just notice someone of the opposite sex and we notice that they are good looking, we notice that they are pretty, that they are attractive, that somehow we have sinned. But he's saying that we're looking at a particular person who is not our spouse in the way that we are trying to lust after them. And so Israel certainly could do that and did do that. Isn't this true, though, I think, for us today as we think about pornography, as we think about specifically visual pornography? Because I think pornography or pornographic content anyway can not only be visual, but it can be in things that we read as well. But when we view that particular content, we are looking at a person. We are looking at someone who has been made in God's image. We are looking at someone who may be someone else's husband or wife or brother or sister or parent or child. 
We are viewing someone else in that particular way, a person who has been made in God's image. And sometimes maybe our culture just says, well, it's only a body. But going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God designed our bodies. He is the creator of our bodies. They are good bodies. He designed them that way, and he designed them for a specific purpose. Well, covetousness wasn't just something that the Israelites were supposed to avoid. It was not just a sin for them, but it remains a sin for us as well. I want you to just think about a few verses as we close this morning. From Romans chapter 13 at verse 9, Romans 13 at verse 9, uh, the Apostle Paul goes back to the old law of Moses and he says, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We need to ask ourselves if this is something that we struggle with, if this is a temptation that is in our life. We need to ask ourselves, am I truly loving that other person? They may not, we, we may never meet that person in person. But are we truly showing our love for our neighbor? Are we coveting something that God has not given to us? The Apostle Paul writes more about covetousness in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 5, he says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral, or it should be no fornicator, or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then the companion passage over in the book of Colossians in chapter 3 at verse 5, Paul says here, Therefore commit, uh, consider the members of your earthly body. Isn't that interesting? He's still thinking about how we can commit sin with the members of our earthly body. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality or sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed or covetousness, some versions say, which amounts to idolatry. Again, the message I think from our culture today is pretty loud and clear that if you want to view pornography, if you want to participate in that particular sin, that's fine. Because, hey, you know, we don't have a creator, many people think. And our bodies are just bodies. We're here for a little time, and then that's it. But I want you to see this, especially in the light of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and what Paul says there, that despite what our culture says, God did not create our bodies for pornography. And again, it may be that, that you have been involved in that. It may be that you're struggling with that, even as a Christian, that you know that's something you should not be involved in. And if that's you, I sympathize. I very much do sympathize with you. But you can overcome that. It's not going to be the easiest thing to do. It's going to be very difficult. Almost as painful as Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 5 about cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. But with the help and the strength that is available in Jesus Christ, you can overcome that. So like otherworldly and sinful uses of our good bodies that don't glorify God, again, if you have used or you are using your body to engage in these activities, you can change. I think that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the good news that Paul was presenting to his fellow saints there in the city of Corinth. You can repent, you can be forgiven, and you can live a new life in Christ and you can live a new life for Christ. 
and you can enjoy an eternity with him. What about you this morning? I know this has been a very heavy lesson. But a lesson, quite frankly, I need to hear myself. And I think we as parents need to hear it so that we can teach our children to go in the right way, a way that pleases God. As we're about to sing this song of invitation, Live for Jesus. Is that your desire this morning? That you just want to live for Jesus? If you're not a child of God, you can start down that path of living for Jesus every day of your life. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect from now on, that you're never going to be tempted, that you will never, never sin. But it does mean that you have devoted your life, you have made the choice that you are going to give yourself totally and completely mind, body, and soul to Jesus Christ, that He is going to be the Lord of your life. Have you made that decision today? If you have not, we offer you this invitation, the invitation of Jesus Christ, to start on that journey this very day. As if as a child of God, you have started down that path. Maybe it is what we've spoken of today, homosexuality or pornography. Maybe it is something else that has caught your attention and has become your master. Turn away from that because those things are cruel masters. And come back to Jesus Christ and get to living for Him. Think about your need. Think about your life. And if you need to respond to the invitation of Christ, we encourage you to do that now as we stand and as we sing.